If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Uh, and, and there's no shame in this game. If you don't know where Mark is, uh, thankfully our Bibles do have a table of contents. You'll be able to quickly find uh, where that is. And the chapters are marked clearly on the top. Mark chapter 14. And as you're opening there, and, and perhaps by the sermon title, you might, uh, you might maybe be able to tell where we're going with this. What, what is communion? Well, uh, as, as a way of introduction, a simple question for y'all. Who has communion confusion? Communion confusion. In other words, what in the world's going on when we do this thing? Are, are we... Are we just kind of remembering what's going on and, and you know, that's kind of how we recommit our lives? Are we, are we taking of something that uh, is kind of, you know, really Jesus or something like that? You know, Jesus' words are pretty strong. Are we, uh, are we uh, uh, spiritually blessed and, and why? And, and, and how are we supposed to get all of this stuff? Well, uh, of course, as... As we've been marching through this very short uh, Easter series, mark this Easter in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, as I said this last Sunday, uh, Mark, he gives us exactly the amount of information he thinks we need, and it's less than we might think we need. Mark, uh, he is known uh, as uh, getting his source material from the Apostle Peter, and Mark is uh, a very quick pen. Uh, he's here, and then he puts a period in it, and then boom, he's over there, and it's quick. Immediately is the word that he uses often. Immediately, Jesus is going here. You'd think he was running. How many times we hear this word immediately in the Gospel of Mark. And so, uh, true to form, as we go into Mark chapter 14 and we begin to look at the institution of the Lord's Supper, of the sacrament of communion, boom, it's quick. And then whew, he moves on. And yet, as the Holy Spirit carried along this writer of Scripture, we see within these few verses beautiful truths that can help us get a little closer to answering that question, which, by the way, is the main point for tonight. What is communion? What is it? We'll see this in some very, very powerful ways. But first, let us pray before the reading of God's Word. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray that the reading of your Word right now would be powerful and that would be powerful for us as people. Not just powerful in a sense, but really powerful in changing us individually. That we might leave here not only knowing something more, but that we might leave here being something more. That we might see ourselves changed by your work. And you use your word to do that work. In fact, you have told us, O oh Lord, that the Holy Spirit uses such word like a sword. And it's not just a blunt sword. It is scalpel sharp, precise in its work. 
And so, O Holy Spirit, we pray, do a work in our very souls tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The grass withers, the flowers, they do fade, but the word of God, it stands forever and is powerful to save. Remember our main point, which is really the main question, right? What is communion? Three points to get us there. Present, past, and future. First then, Jesus speaks of the present. Verse 22 Built into the Lord's Supper is the deep and lovely truth of Emmanuel. That is, God is with us. When you get right to it, one of the basic concepts of communion is the physicality of it. In other words, you really take a piece of bread and you really eat it. Or for us tonight, you know, the cardboard wafer, right? <laughs> But you really take it. It's something in hand. And you truly ingest it. As Jesus sat with his disciples, he was really with them. In other words, physically present. And this does two things. One more important than the other. And yet both extremely important to us as followers of God. First... And most importantly, Jesus' real presence on earth at that time, in that room, and moving towards that cross was the means through which salvation was provided to humanity. Payment needed to be rendered for humanity's deep disloyalty to God and Jesus' perfect presence would be that payment as he went to the cross the very next day. Second, Jesus' real presence on earth at that time allowed for there to be no doubt of a perfectly understanding God who knows exactly what each of you are going through because he has been here on earth. God has walking like you tired like you and yet without sin exactly what you need he knows that too and more than that he executes as god in exactly the right time Elsewhere in Scripture, we see that we have a great high priest who is not far off, right? He knows and understands us. We see that in the book of Hebrews. And yet here, we know it because he's, he's really there. He is present. Though, though this is not as important 
as our deep need for salvation. For instance, Jesus could have saved and we would have gotten out of an immensely cosmic pickle, whether or not he wanted to know how we were feeling in the process, right? Though it was not as important as our deep need for salvation, the fact that Jesus, who is God, can perfectly empathize with humanity through his own humanity, it bridges the gap between God and man. And as the gap is bridged, unity between our creator God and us, his creatures, is perfectly achieved granting many benefits, peace, contentment, hope, joy, and many, many others that we find throughout God's Word. In fact, it is this very reality that allows the Apostle Peter, for instance, to pin something scandalous in a letter to God's people that were spread out. The diaspora is who he was writing to, which means they weren't close. They were spread out all over the place. And so as he's writing this very broad pastoral letter uh, about how they might move in this crazy world, he says something immensely scandalous. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which, here it comes, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of divinity having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. How easy we might pass over such a reality. Partakers of the divine nature? That is something beyond day to day. What we see in Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper is a deep sign and seal of the gospel. The reality that God came to earth to save his people. Second, Jesus speaks of the past. Verses 23 and 24. As Jesus sits with his disciples on the night of his betrayal and an arrest, instituting this massively important practice of the church, communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, it should not be surprising to us that the whole of salvation history is touched upon, and Jesus does it with just one word, covenant. As wine is poured, he reminds his friends of that which has always been God's salvation covenant with man. It started with Adam and the command not to touch that fruit of the tree. Y'all remember, right? Don't eat the fruit, you'll live forever. Okay? Don't eat the fruit, you'll die. That's a great promise. Don't eat the fruit, I'll live forever. This is perfect. I'll not die. We know the rest of that. But then ensues more additions to that promise where God begins to reveal that he will fulfill the promise for us. 
Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Jeremiah, they all slam home into that one wine glass that Jesus is holding as he says, this is my blood of the covenant swirling in that cup of blood above the doors of the Passover night is the same blood wiped that the angel of destruction would pass over rather than go in for the firstborn son. Swirling in that cup is that substitute ram in the bramble that God provided that Isaac might not die. The millions of animal and burnt sacrifices offered in the temple on behalf of God's people's sin. All of those ceremonial and obscure laws meant to reveal God and his holiness. Kinsmen redeemers like Boaz and providentially placed queens like Esther. Festivals and days and prophets and priests and clothes and practices and kingdoms fallen and empires risen. All in the cup revealing Jesus' words that night. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. What we see in Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper is a deep sign and seal of the gospel. The reality that God promised over and over he would come to earth to save his people. And he started in the garden and he saw it all the way through and he continues now with his word. Even tonight. Third. Jesus speaks of the future. Verse 25. Even as Jesus is physically with them, present, even as he has drawn in, as it were, all of salvation history with the use of one word, past, he points us in hope to where we are going, a future reuniting with him. At this point, or at least very close to it. We know from the other apostles that Jesus has told them he will be away from them for a time. It's not the first time he said it, but it got a little serious this night where the apostles, then the disciples, began to perhaps shake in their boots a little bit as Jesus opened up a whole lot of things that they needed to know. In that in-between we also know by Jesus' own lips, the things that he was speaking that night, that the Holy Spirit would dwell not in the midst of God's people, but in them, granting spiritual power beyond the wildest imagination of the believers at the time. The first fruits, by the way, being belief unto salvation. Now, this would not be new for God's people. That is how God has worked throughout time. But now, in this moment, it would be powerfully demonstrated, explained, and felt in the coming years and centuries of the church. However, it is very important for us, God's people, not to forget the reality of the in-between status of our lives right now. When we think of God's work, 
Because Jesus' completion of salvation and his death on the cross was just the beginning, not the end. When we think of God's work, we should remember that we are in the in-between and that there is something coming that is much better. That is where our hope lies. That is, in fact, where our lives lie. Now that God has begun a good work in us, he will see it through to completion. And that completion is in the future where those heavenly places are. What Jesus speaks of here in verse 25. The words of Jesus, his commitment not to drink of the vine until it is new again. Did you notice that? It is slightly different than what you might focus on in another gospel. Verse 25 of our text. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The Apostle John experiences this revelation firsthand. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. He goes on to say a few verses later. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Verse 25. It bears repeating. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What we see in Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper is a deep sign and seal of the gospel. The reality that God does not stop at the act or moment of salvation, but brings us all the way home to an eternity with him. What is communion? There are several very biblical ways that we can answer that. We can do it like we confess. There is a shorter catechism question, what is communion? And you can walk through it. Uh, there are some biblical ways you can look at it. Jesus has some stuff to say. The Old Testament, the Lord revealing there through the prophets, some things that are most important. What is communion? Mark this. Communion is a perfect representation and revelation of God's past promises, present work, and future provision. As believers in God, we are provided the opportunity to hold the fullness of the good news of the Lord Jesus in our hands, to be spiritually blessed, to be so spiritually blessed, that it is as if we have been drawn up into heaven where Jesus Christ himself reigns and rules supreme at the right hand of God the Father. It is that big of a deal. God gives us this gift and he gives it to us for his glory and for our good. What is communion? It is God's work on our behalf. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, 
Indeed, we praise you. What a remarkable reality of your work for us that we get to partake in in just a few moments. And so, Lord, as we rise and sing, may our hearts be right, and may they be right on you. In Jesus' name, amen.